me Luke chapter 9 today. Um, as, as we've stepped into that chapter, we've seen a shift of focus, a shift of ministry. Jesus had been sent by his father to proclaim the kingdom, the coming kingdom, to preach the gospel. He said that over and over through Luke. And then he emphasized that or he attended his teaching with with miraculous miracles or, or powerful miracles, I guess I should say. He, he exercised great power to heal people, to cast out demons, to meet people at this point of need. Well, as we stepped last week, as we stepped into Luke chapter 9, we saw the commission that he placed on his apostles to go and do the exact same thing. You go now. I've, I've come. I've taught. I've, I've worked this per, these powerful miracles. And he says, now you go and do the same thing. Thing you you go and, and follow in my example and teach and preach and heal and cast out demons. Now, as we saw Jesus doing that with his apostles and commissioning his apostles to go, we were able to see how that plays a part even on our lives today. That in fact, like Christ has been sent and like he sent his apostles, we now have been given a new purpose. We've been given a new life to live, a new reason to live our life. We have this. This, this life of being sent, this sent life as we've talked about it or calling it, that, that, that now is the purpose for which he has us living. So that we now are to go to show and to tell the gospel and make sure that, that people are hearing it and experiencing it, seeing it. And so, so, so that's what he's commissioned us to do as well, to go and, and show and work in word and in deed. Now, we're going to carry on in that theme today as we continue in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be working verses 7 through 17. I think the screen behind me says 9 through 17. I don't know who put that PowerPoint together, but it's wrong. We're actually going to be verses 7 through 17. Uh, and we'll kind of carry on that same theme, but it's not just about going. It's not just to be an act of life, right? Like there's a purpose in what we're doing. We're called not just to go, we're called to serve. And that's what we see happening as Jesus continues to just show his disciples what it is to live this sent life. So read with me, if you will. We'll begin in verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about, or about all that was happening and was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Herod wanted to see Jesus. And this is, a, this is striking to me. This is important, I think, for us, to, for us to recognize, for us to just stop and kind of pick up where we left off last week so that we can see this. This is happening. So Luke gives us this little snippet, this little aside, to let us see some of the fruit of the apostles' ministry. Jesus had sent them out. And in the verses that are about to follow this, he, we're going to see them return. But in the middle, before they had come back, Herod is already beginning to look for Jesus. So here are these 12 men who have gone out from Jesus, who are going and teaching the same message, who are going and, and doing powerful miracles. And Herod, when he begins to look for the person responsible, doesn't look for James, John, Peter, or Andrew, Matthew, or any of the other 12. He wants to see Jesus. He's concerned about seeing Jesus. Their ministry, their witness was so clear. Even as they worked these powerful miracles, even as they taught with such authority, their witness was so clear that it wasn't about them. It wasn't about what they could do. It wasn't them that he was to follow or anyone else was to follow. It was to make Jesus known. To make certain that Jesus' ministry, that Jesus' 
was seen and that Jesus was come, people were able to come to know Jesus. And Herod, Herod's not the only one asking. He's not the only one looking for Jesus. He's not the only one who sees these 12 and it's like, I got to see this Jesus. See, so if we keep reading, and we will, we'll pick it up in verse 10. We're going to see that these apostles come back and they lead with them. They bring with them this throng of people. And let's just see it. On, on their return, verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. So they come back and they're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe what happened. We preached to this person. We spoke to these people. We told all these people about you and we healed people. I mean, sick people were made well and, and demon-possessed people were, were freed. You know, just amazing things. They told, told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So, so already we're seeing that there's this place where he's like, we've got to step out. We've got to withdraw. We've got to get away. Because people were, throng, they were coming in throngs. They were looking for Jesus. In verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him <clears throat> and welcomed them. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So the apostles return and they bring with them and these people come looking for Jesus. While they were out preaching and healing, while they were doing the, the work that Jesus had give them, given them to do, they didn't go out making a name for themselves. They didn't go out just simply meeting people in their place of need and not providing them an answer. They became known as witnesses to Jesus. And when people heard them and when people saw their power, they didn't think, I got to get closer to John. I got I to be, be friends with Peter. They went seeking Jesus. It struck me. As I prepared this sermon, it struck me because I don't know that Christians today are known for Jesus. I mean, when people think of us, it's the first question or the first thought that enters their mind is that they are witnesses of Jesus. It's just an opinion. Really, probably not that great of an opinion. I've got a really small view of this big world we live in. But sometimes I feel like that today Christians are more known for the things we're against than the one in whom we stand for. I, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly, certainly the world knows, not the world maybe, but in our, in our circle of influence in the country that we live in, certainly the world, uh, the, the, this, this country understands we're against abortion, right? I mean... Don't they know we're against racism, systemic injustice, and maybe some of us? I mean, what do people know you for? What do people think of Christians when they think of Christians? It's my sense, and again, it's just my opinion. From my little view of the of the world, it's, it's my opinion, it's my thought, it's my, my conviction that, that rather being known as witnesses to Jesus, we're a people who stand against a lot of things. Oh, we can call out sin with the best of them, right? We can highlight problems with the best of them. We can stand and bring awareness with the best of them. 
Is that what God called us to do? Is that how he's called us to serve? Don't, don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. Should we be speaking out against these things? Should we be stepping in and using the voice that we have been given to highlight the sin that is riddling this world with hurt and pain and suffering? Yes. Should we be actively engaging with our strength and with our own hands and by our own feet and with our own resources, the gifts and abilities, should we be stepping in to actively engage, to to provide whatever relief we might provide? Should we be stepping in? Absolutely, yes, we should. In fact, as we continue in this passage, as we continue studying this passage, we, we, we see this is exactly how Jesus instructs his apostles to engage at a point of need. But what was the point of their serving? Was it simply to meet the need, simply to make the need go away? Or was there a greater purpose? When we serve, What's the point of our serving? When we step in, when we begin to speak, when we use our energy, what is the point of our serving? What is the point of our going to serve? When we step out and speak up, when we take action, what goal are we called to reach? What mission have we been commissioned to accomplish? Is it simply to make this world a better more comfortable place? Is it to make the world aware of all the things we stand against? Or is there something more? If you've sat under my teaching for any amount of time, I think you'll know that I think there's something more. And I think you'll probably have a suspicion of what that is. But I think it's worth studying the scripture so that you don't just have to agree with me, but that you can fall under the authority of God in his word. So we keep reading. Pick it up in verse 12. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. So Jesus welcomes this crowd of people in. He says, come on, I I, I was trying to get away, trying to spend some time with with these apostles and, and, and spend some time alone with them. But here's this crowd. Why don't you come in, sit down, let me heal you, let me teach you, let me spend time with you. And the day began to wear away. It was a long day at church, basically. Like, I got nothing on Jesus. Right, So I told the first service this. They, they get off a little bit easy because I've got to preach a second service. Like you don't want to show up and me still be preaching because then you're going to go home and think there's no way I'm sitting through that one. Right? I, I've, I may have made you late for lunch, but I've never made you miss lunch. Like the sun's never going down when I'm done. Jesus taught all day. He healed all day. These people sat in his presence all day. The day began to wear away. And the apostles, they see a need. 
They're like, hey, Jesus, we've got to do something. These people have been here all day. They're hungry. We need, them to, we need to go ahead and send them on away so that they can go into the surrounding villages, so that they can go to the surrounding places and find a place to stay for the night and a meal to eat. And I think, I think, I believe that the apostles had a genuine desire, a genuine concern for the needs of these people. I don't think they were being selfish like, all right, Jesus, you spent plenty of time with these people. We came here for us to be with you. I don't think that was their intent. I think they were seriously, genuinely concerned, and they thought they had an answer. And they were so convinced of their answer, they went to Jesus, their teacher, their master. And they said, this is what we need to do. I just couldn't help but think of a couple of things as I thought about that. I mean, did, they, did they think that Jesus didn't understand that there was this need? Did they think that Jesus didn't understand that these people would want to eat and have a place to stay for the night? Did, did they think that Jesus was so unconcerned for these people that he wouldn't allow them to have a meal and a place to stay? Kent Hughes in his commentary points out this is not just a suggestion they make to Jesus. It's impertinence, he says. They're telling Jesus what to do. Are they so convinced that Jesus has missed this that they need to now tell Jesus to follow them instead of them follow him? Second, have they just forgotten what's been going on? Like, where have they been all of a Like, did they wake up and forget what they just told Jesus had been happening? These are people who had experienced Jesus' power. They had, they had been in the middle of a sea about to die, and he commands the waves to be still and the winds to quit blowing, and it stops. They'd seen a demon man possessed and freed. This legion of demons come out, fill 2,000 pigs, and run the pigs off the side of the cliff. They'd seen a sick woman, a woman who'd been sick for 12 years, healed. They'd seen a dead girl raised. And not only had they seen his power, not only had they been the recipients of his power, they had just been sent out to use his power. Like they had been healing people. They had been casting out demons. They had been speaking and teaching in authority. But yet here they come. Seems like this point, it seems to me at this point, dinner's probably a small task to handle. But all of a sudden, all they can see is the problem. It'd be easy for us to get down on them for this, right? I mean, I can't believe they didn't understand. They're with the Savior of the world. It's the lesson we're always learning just like them. I love it because Jesus is not about to let them stay in this place where he, they think their mission is the right mission. Because he knows, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knows He's about to do something that's going to blow them away. It's going to open their eyes even further to just how sufficient, how capable he is. So we pick it up in verse 13. But he said to them, so here are the apostles. They come with their command. But he said to them, he answers them with a command of his own. He said to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> Wait, what? Have you, ever, have you ever fixed a, a meal for just 50 people? Have you ever planned a meal 
for just 50 people. Multiply that times a thousand, or times a hundred, I'm sorry. Multiply that times a hundred. He said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And if you plan for a meal for 50 people, you understand that there's some logistics that go into that. There's some planning that goes into that. It's not like these 50, 50 people don't typically just show up on your doorstep and expect, a, expect breakfast. You know, it's not, like, it's not like, hey, we're here. Hope you have something for us. Oh, I got five slices of bread and some lunch meat. Multiply it times 100, and, and maybe we need to multiply it by more than 100 because the, as people think about this, it calls out 5,000 men. Some estimate that there's 25,000 people there. If you figure a woman for every man, that's 10,000. If you figure at least one child for every, for, for every couple, that's potentially upwards of 15 to 20,000. And most people would expect that a, that a conservative estimate would really be somewhere between 20 and 25,000 people. You see the task that Jesus has just laid on these men. No, you feed them. Let's not send them away. You feed them. We got five slices of bread and some lunch meat. Is it possible? Is it possible this was the best place that these apostles, these disciples, who had not just seen Jesus' power but actually exercised his power, is the best place for them to be? See, because now they're not just aware of need in the lives of these people they're surrounded by. They're confronted with their own inadequacy to meet that need. They are utterly, totally, wholly, completely inadequate to accomplish what Jesus just told them to accomplish. I appreciate what Philip Ryken writes. In his commentary, Reformed Expository Commentary, Philip Ryken says, It is when we know we are at the end of our own resources that we are ready to see what God will do. Oh, we're so quick to depend on ourselves. We're so quick to come up with a plan, so quick to come up with this answer. This is what we can do. And I do it all the time. I make decisions all day, every day. This is what we can do. So quick to lean into my own abilities and my own strength and my own understanding. Man, it's good to be in a place like these apostles where we see that we're not enough. We see that we're totally, completely inadequate. Alexander McLaren writes, It is often our duty to attempt tasks to which we are conspicuously inadequate. To which we are completely, obviously inadequate. It's, it's, it's often our duty to do these things, he says, in the confidence that he who gives them has laid them on us to drive us to himself and there to find sufficiency. The best pre preparation of his servants for their work in the world is the discovery that their own stores are small. What is the point if it is not this? What is the point of us seeing need in the world if we think that we're the ones supposed to be the Savior? What in the world is the point of us seeing and being aware of all the problems and hurt and pain in the world if we think that we're supposed to be the one coming up with the provision of salvation? What if 
we've been called to serve at these points of need, but not, not because we're able, but because we know the one who is. What if the reality is, is that God's not expecting you or me to be strong? But learn that he is. What if, the, what if the point isn't even fixing and making the world a better place in this moment? So long as people learn that one day he will. Whether we like to admit this or not, whether we like to think about it or not, it is not an easy thing to think about. We are needy people. And the thing that's common that's going to tie us all together, just like we talked about desperation, one of the things uh, a few weeks ago, one of the things that will tie us together with all other people in the world is that we are all needy. And one truth that we cannot escape as much as we'd like to escape it is that there will always be great need. Maybe God has been merciful to let us see it so that we'll turn to the one who is able to meet that need. You see, this is getting to the point. This is the reason I'm preaching from this perspective, bringing this out. Jesus sends Christians to serve in order that in the midst of need, we see our dependency, but by his power, we learn of his sufficiency. It's likely that these disciples were, were, were suddenly solely and completely aware that they could do nothing to fulfill this command that Jesus had just given them. Don't send them away. You feed them. What, what are we going to feed them? We've got five loaves and two fish. What can we possibly do in the face of this great need? What can we possibly offer? There's a distinction here. See, the reality is this. It's likely that these people didn't need to be told that they were hungry. It's likely that these people didn't misunderstand their own need. It's likely that the apostles weren't the only ones saying their bellies are empty. I'm certain that fathers and mothers sitting in the crowd were thinking it's time to eat when are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? See, we're all bound up in this idea, this understanding, this awareness of need. But there's a distinction to be made. Because the apostles are actually going to be given some power, some opportunity to be a part of the solution. What are they to do? Are they just to step in? Or are, 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 are we to just step in and join in the crowd and simply making certain that everybody understands how bad things are? Like, are we supposed to just get, join in the, the, the singing of the, of, of the songs of, of pain and suffering and awareness? Absolutely we should. But there's more for us to do. There's more for you and I to do. As believers in and as, as those who have experienced God's power, there's more for the apostles to do. There's more for us to do. 
Are we to just step in to, to, the, to, to the five loaves and two fish that this world offers to solve these big, massive problems? Are we just step in and, and say, well, that's all I got, so this is all I'm going to be able to deal with? Yes, we should step in. Yes, we should take hold of it. Here's the reality. This is all the world ever is going to be able to offer in the face of its greatest needs. Five loaves and two fish. Abortion is a horrific, just a horrific stain on our culture. The best we have to offer in this world apart from Christ is five loaves and two fish. Systemic injustice and, and racial oppression is horrific. It's, 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 it's a horrific tale to be told in the history of America, a, 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 a nation that would pr pride itself on freedom and a step up for those who are in lesser places. But apart from Christ, the best we can offer is five loaves and two fish. See, the thing is, I think we're called to do more. The Christian is called to serve in order that in the midst of need, yes, dependency, yes, neediness, yes, inability is noticed and seen, but also that the power of Christ is made known and his sufficiency is realized. See, I think the, the, the question that this miracle most confronts you and I as believers with is now that as Christians, we are partakers of the power and majesty and beauty and sufficiency of Christ. Will we now turn and help this world see that it is also in need? And in him is the answer. Like, will we quit telling everybody what we're against and start promoting and pointing to the one that we are for? Will we quit just simply bringing awareness to all the tragedy that happens and make sure that people can see the Jesus that offers salvation and hope and grace and redemption and forgiveness in the midst of this horrific culture and time that we live? More than they need our wisdom. More than they need our self-sufficient answers more than they need us. They need him. Because he can do so much more than us. It's a lesson we need to be learning again and again and again. It'd be so easy to think, oh, these apostles, they, they walked with him. They knew it. If, 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 if we just had him here, we wouldn't make that mistake. We need to continue to learn this question or to learn this lesson that in our dependency we're able to finally see his sufficiency. And I just was talking with a, with a guy that was in the first service. He's talking about having gone and adopted his son from Ghana and, and had they not seen the need, like if, if they had gone over and adopted him and everything had gone fine and everything had gone smoothly, they would have missed God's power and provision in the midst of the difficulty that came. So if you guys know Greg and, and Jen Seitz, you'll, you'll know that they got there and they ended up living in Ghana for like a month as they waited for their son to be ready to come home with them. Both of them away from work, 
paychecks not showing up. I think the car broke down. But God provided. And in the midst of that need, in the midst of the realization that they were utterly and completely incapable, he's like, Seth, as you spoke this morning, that's all I could think about is how amazing God is at providing. See, the reality is, is that he doesn't just call them to this. He doesn't just call them to fulfill this command. He exercised power so that it can be fulfilled. These apostles want to send the crowd away. Jesus says, you feed them. They're like, there's 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And picking him back up in the middle of verse 14. Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate, all 20, 25,000, they all ate and were satisfied. Their bellies were full. See, Jesus didn't just call them to do this and leave them alone. He provided the power. He said, we need to learn this lesson again and again and again. He doesn't just produce need. He doesn't just realize need or or, or show us need. He doesn't just bring us to this place that, that creates need. He provides the answer. And then he says, hey, make sure that people see the answer. And he includes us in the work to, 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 to show people the answer. He shows us that he alone, Jesus alone, is God's plan for what is wrong, to, to right what is wrong in the world. He's the one that's, that's the answer for this. Not you and not me. Not our understanding of things in the world. Not our perspective on the way things should be. Not our mission for them. Jesus alone is God's plan. And in this miracle, there's just a few ways. Let me just show you just quickly. His work in feeding the multitude connected him to God as the sole provider for his people. You see it in Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 through 36. Now, you can go and read that on your own at some point. I'm going to show you just a snippet in verses 11 and 12. The Israelites had been led out of Egypt. They were walking around the desert, and they were hungry. A desolate place they were at. And they were hungry, and they were complaining because they were hungry. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He provided for them. He made them able to eat and be satisfied. He's the one that filled their bellies. And the same is true in this instant where Jesus is feeding the multitude. Jesus' work in feeding the multitude connected him to the line of prophets. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. A man came from Baal, Shalisha. I don't know if I said that right or not, but it's okay. From that place, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men and they, that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set before this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some 
left. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. Jesus, is he's always been the point at which God has been working. This, this moment in time, this feeding of the multitude is simply all the prophets, all the work that they had been doing, they're pointing toward Jesus. It connects him as the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Now he's the one making this happen. Jesus' work in feeding the multitude showed him to be the Savior, to be the Messiah, to be the one expected. Mary learned of God's plan for her to carry the Messiah, and she sings this song. We call it the Magnificat. She sings this song, and that song is in response. It's, it's remembering what God has done and prophesying about what Jesus would do. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 53, she sings, He has filled the hungry with good things. And Jesus himself preaching and teaching, Luke chapter 6, verse 21, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And Jesus is God's plan to make this all Happen to right the wrong in the world to 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 show us his plan is being fulfilled. Jesus is God's plan for this, has always been plan A, and Jesus alone has the power to meet our greatest need. We need to continue to learn these lessons. The disciples were ready to send the people away, they were ready to be done. This is a long day. We can't do this. We only have five loaves and two fish. We're not going to see this taken care of. Let them go find their own meal. Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, what are we going to do? We just got this. He lifts his head. He raises his head as he speaks to his father in heaven. He thanks him for the meal. He blesses God for giving them the food. And then he begins to break it. I love how Alexander McLaren calls this out. He says, the pieces grew under his touch. And the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. They could only do so much. They'd fill up their basket. They'd run to their group of 50. They'd pour it out that the 50 could begin to eat. They'd run back. I don't know, 50 people. Divide that by, we have a mathematician in the room. We divide that by... By 20,000, how many groups is that? How many trips is that for the 12 apostles? You, you can do the math at some point. Every time they came back, Jesus was still breaking the bread and breaking the fish to the point that everyone ate and everyone got full. That should send shivers down our spine. Pieces grew under his touch, and the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. Jesus alone has the power to meet our greatest need. Jesus alone is the one in whom we find satisfaction. They ate until they were full, until they were satisfied. This only happens in Christ. All we have, all we can do is, is feed one another to the point that, that, that we want more. There's always going to be more. There's always going to be a greater problem on the other side of the one we just fixed. There's always going to be another issue that comes charging at us. There's always going to be a, another, another, another need. We're always going to find ourselves dependent. But in Jesus alone, we find satisfaction. And if that's how it ended, that would be pretty amazing. 
I mean, 20,000 people ate off of five loaves and two fish. But he's not done. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. And so that night, as the sun went ahead and went down, and as the apostles followed Jesus to wherever this next place he's going to go, as they left these crowds to go to bed, these apostles each carried a basket that was completely full. See, Jesus isn't just enough to barely get by. Jesus comes and is powerfully, abundantly sufficient for us. See, Jesus sends Christians to serve so that we will increasingly trust and enjoy the abundance of his power and his provision. The truth is, like those apostles, many of us sitting in this room today need to be reminded that in the face of great need, in the face of horrific things going on, And as we bring awareness, as we join in the fight, as we seek to serve, the best best thing we can do is make sure that people see Jesus. And when we do, when we do, we are going to get to enjoy the abundance of his blessing even more. And as we enjoy the abundance of that blessing, as we learn those lessons again, we're going to be more willing and able to continue to show it to those around us. Living out the mission and accomplishing the goal for which he sent us. To make him know. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you. We desperately need you. And in this moment... By your word, I would just ask, Father, through your spirit to to convince us. Convince us of the hope we have because of you. Convince us of the hope we can offer to others because of you. This is no... not just a formality show us that in your gospel there is power and through Jesus you meet needs not just in a a small way but in abundance Father help us strengthen us that we might go serving to make Jesus know. And I ask these things in his name, Jesus, by your power, with your authority. Amen.